welcome to season two, episode six of Courtside with Keenan. I am your host, Keenan Dahl, and on today's episode, we have a great interview with a Green Bay Packers legend. He's a Super Bowl 31 champion, a four-time Pro Bowler, four-time first-team All-Pro, a member of the 1990s NFL All-Decade Team, a member of the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame, and soon to be a member of the NFL Hall of Fame. He's also the inventor of the Lambeau Leap, Mr. Leroy Butler. But before we get to Leroy, here is a quick word from Anchor. So I got a chance to reach out to Leroy, ask him if he would join us on the podcast graciously. He said absolutely he would love to. Uh, We had a great interview, and I want to go ahead and get right to it. So we'll go ahead and introduce Mr. Leroy Butler. All right. Welcome, Leroy, to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, no problem, Keenan. I'm glad to be here. All right. My first question before we start is, is it officially Leroy or Leroy? <laughs> it's Leroy Butler, but when people call me Leroy, I don't care. It's not a big deal. <laughs> well, I've I've heard it both ways many, many times, so I wanted to I wanted to hear it from you for sure. Yeah, again, it's Leroy Butler. Um when I was Edgar Bennett, who knew me since I was in middle school, it seemed like he had an amazing joke. I forgot who he said it where but he was like, I've been knowing him his whole life down in Florida. As soon as he gets drafted, his name is Leroy. It was a best <laughs> joke. I even laughed. I fell on the floor. It's funny. It was right in front of the media, too, like in the locker room. It was it was amazingly funny. <laughs> right. So why don't we go right back to the childhood days down in Florida and mm-hmm. kind of just sort of start with your story from the beginning? Well, the thing about it is I love doing podcasts like this because – um, it's almost like a lot of the people who didn't see me play college or the pros, they learn about you considering hearing it on some of the bigger networks. This is a more intimate and personal. Yes. So thank you for having me. And I think every um, player or famous person who people think they're famous, people need to know a little bit about you. With that said, growing up for me, Kenny, it was different. And it was very different because as a child, you don't pick your environment. You don't pick anything. You're just a child. And I was in poverty pretty much my whole life. But my mom was truly amazing. She was my hero. And to make a long story short, about my younger years, I just really wanted to play professional football. And people used to ask me all the time why do you want to play in, in the nfl it was just something about at the church watching it and seeing a t- the ultimate team sport you need people to not only help you but you need them to do their jobs to succeed and my mom you know remember when you're a kid you're asking for a lot of things you want a lot of things for me i was disabled i was uh, in a wheelchair I had club feet. My feet were extremely pigeon-toed, and I just couldn't do it. I had a lot of limitations, you know, special education. I mean, it was, I had a learning disability, everything. And when you hear that, I want to play in the NFL, it just doesn't match up right because you would think it would be a kid that played Little League sports since they were five years old and they all the way up. No, I had a late start because of my childhood but I think because of that was the reason why I think I made it so talking about those battles you had to overcome being disabled and having special education and at what point did sports did sports kind of become part of your life not just wanting to do it but when were you actually able to start well that's a good question because now my brain has to match up with my feet because my brain had a delay because I was just stuck on the fact that a lot of kids were going to the swimming pool. They could chase butterflies. They could do recess. I couldn't do that. So my brain had to work overtime to keep myself positive. So I had to put 
be around positive people. My mom, my sister, my brother, my grandparents, they all just telling me I can do it. And then when I heard my teacher say it, Keenan, a light bulb, you know how a little light bulb goes off in your head? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> my teacher told me one day, Miss Stevens, one of my many teachers, we're at recess. I think I was like, I was in middle school or maybe pre, like the sixth grade or something like that. But I couldn't do recess because they were playing kickball and I couldn't run real fast and I can't kick the ball. So they didn't choose me that particular day. So she came over to me and she was very distraught because she saw her student not being involved. And she said, are you upset they didn't choose? I said, no, I'm going to play in the NFL and they all going to want my autograph anyway. So I started smiling. She said, you know what? I wanted to, and I'm going to pay for it. I said, but it's something you can't help me with. Can you help me read? She said, what do you mean? We have reading. I said, yeah, but it's different when it's 35 people in the class, just me. So out on the bench, she taught me how to read and and use my southern dialect to, you know, say words properly. Because we down south, we kind of make up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> She said, when you go to other parts of the country, they're going to talk differently, but it, the, all, all the words mean the same. And she told me this. I'll never forget, Kenan, I'll never forget this. She said, if you want to play in the NFL, you got to be smart because they're going to ask you to learn a lot of plays. You got to read everything. You got to take that to the field. That's when I said, you know what? I'm going to make it. Now, the physical part of it, didn't really catch up until like the ninth grade. I said I'm pretty decent, but I'm not. I was I wasn't great, but I was pretty. I was decent. I mean, I was average. Put it that way. Okay. So then, when you know you got into high school and you were an okay player, mm-hmm. at what point did you realize, wow, I am really really good at this game? Well, you know, I had this. I had a. We went. Uh, What's it Junior varsity. If you were pretty good, they would move you up. So I'm thinking, okay, we played junior varsity. My brother was a quarterback. So I knew he was going to get moved up. I know a few other guys going to move up. Well, let me go back for a minute. This one, this was a very impactful story. In okay. junior high, the year before, I almost didn't make the team because they would you wouldn't go look and see your name on the board. No. The coach would choose people in the room. And he came down between me and my brother. My brother was a quarterback and he was very good. Well, he had one jersey left. And he's about to make his decision. And my older brother, Michael, he kind of stands up and goes, well, coach, you know what? Give the jersey to my brother. He wants to play in the NFL. I only play sports to get girls. And he just leaves. And the coach dies <laughs> laughing. So he comes up. I don't even know what number it was. It was I was so happy. It didn't matter. I just wanted to play. I get the jersey. And then when I get to high school, my coach, Coach Corky Rogers, C-O-R-K-Y, Corky Rogers. He's the winningest. He just passed away, bless him, a few years back. He was the winningest coach in Florida history. I remember him telling me, I was in my algebra class with Miss Gordon, my, one of my favorite teachers. He comes in. Hey, Miss, can I talk to him, Mr. Butler? Of course. So I go in the hallway. He looks at me with this stare. I'm moving you up to varsity. We got three games left. Now, you may not play much, but you're going to get a different jersey. And on Fridays, you're going to wear that jersey, and you're going to be a big deal. I was like, <laughs> whoa. Oh. Great. So I go back in class, and the classroom was clapping because they kind of heard it. And then my junior year, I was a pretty decent football player, but my senior year, I'm sitting in class, and I got a letter, and I'm reading that letter, and the loudspeaker comes on throughout the whole entire school, and our principal says, I'd like to make an announcement, our first ever All-American. Leroy Butler. Now, I really didn't pay it a lot of attention because it was almost like I was outside my body. 
like a this can't be happening to me. This is like a dream. Because <laughs> nobody had no friends. Nobody, you know, no one would like talk to me, you know. But here, here it is. I'm in all the newspapers that week, all over the news. That was a life-changing experience. And I said, maybe I am pretty good. So I was All-American in high school. That is impressive. So if you had to pick, narrow it down to one person, one non-family mm-hmm. member, because obviously family is very yeah. important, that was the, the most influential person from your birth to through high school. Could you Oh, could that's pick hard. One? It's hard. It's hard. Um, yeah, it's hard. Because every time I would move up, Kenan, it was somebody that was impactful to me. But okay, a few people that really stands out. Uh, Miss Stevenson, Miss Stevenson, Miss Gordon, my two teachers, and my coaching staff with Coach Rogers. They were pretty impactful. The reason why, because they were the buffers between kids bullying me at school or saying mean stuff to tell me, hey, ignore it and just keep your blinders on. And they just pointed at me and I fell. Just don't blow it. You you just keep, you just, just stay focused. So there so okay. my teachers were very instrumental and my coaches, they just really were because I spent the most time with them. And that's really cool to hear because me being an elementary teacher and a high school coach of basketball mm-hmm. and track, you know, it's cool that it's cool to hear you coming back and saying, Hey, teachers are so important and, and can be very influential in a, in a person's life. If, if we didn't have people like you, I don't think kids can survive. We found that out in the pandemic when we had to do um, virtual learning. <laughs> I miss my teacher. That's all I heard. I said, can y'all take them for granted? We don't pay them enough. And we just assume they're babysitters. They're not. Because I used to say my teachers, I'm very, like, my teachers were the smartest people in the world. And the kids were like, what are you talking about? I said, because every astronaut, every doctor the lawyer they all had teachers they've all they all had to sit in a, a classroom to get the knowledge the smartest kids to the kids that had learning disabilities we all have teachers and they never get the respect and coaches are you kidding me you just taught eight hours and now you got to go coach another five that's 13 hours of your day and you don't do it for the money so those people are magnified in my story because without them, there is no Leroy Butler. Well, that is a pretty cool deal there. So being named an All-American, I imagine that college football coaches were probably drooling. Oh, yeah. So so what do you have for some recruiting stories and how different was it in the 80s compared to the whole social media (laughs) era now? It was tough (laughs) because everything came through mail. So I would get letters from all over, all over. You name the college, I would get letters because I was a consensus All-American. So I'm thinking, you know, but to me, it was one guy I used to watch, and it was the Bobby Bowden show on Sundays. They would do the games sure. on Saturday, and he would talk about it on Sundays. And it came right on. It came on right after Tarzan. I love Tarzan. So I'm like watching it. And he knew every player, knew their mom's name, their father's name. He knew all of that. And I, in the back of my mind, I said, I'm always going to Florida State. But I remember Georgia, Clemson, and Tennessee, it was coming down. And then I got a letter that I did not pass the SAT test. So I was going to be a Prop 48. I mean, you can go to school, and, but you couldn't play your freshman year. So a lot of universities right. just wrote me letters saying they can't offer me because I was a Prop 48. Well, Coach Bobby Bowden, he ramped it up. He said, I'm coming and tell your mom we're giving you a, a scholarship. I said, but coach, I'm Prop 48. He said, what does that mean? That means you can come here and get an education. You can't play your freshman year, but you're good enough. It won't matter. He drove down to the projects. Miss Butler, we need to get him out of this situation. We need to get him in a position where he can, you know, be a man. He taught me things about that. So I just uh, – 
I owe a lot to Coach Bobby Bowden because had he not done that, I don't know what I would have done because a lot of schools weren't taking Prop 48 players. They just weren't. But he took six sure. that year. That's the max you can have. And I was one of that six. And I thanked him. And he said, oh, no, no, no. I think you can help this university, help yourself. And, of course, you know, let's try to win a lot of games together. And he just taught me things. So my freshman year, I didn't even play because it was against the rules. But every time the bus left to get on the plane for home game, I mean, away games, I waved to the guys. In home games, we weren't able to go. We had to sit in a certain area. We, we couldn't be on the sideline. It didn't matter. I just wanted to be there. And then my sophomore year, that's when it started. Okay. So did you have uh, – who who were some of the opponents that you really liked to play oh, against? Oh, boy. And, you know, did you have a certain favorite uh, team you played against or a certain game that stands out that was, hey, this, is, this was my favorite yes. game in college? Uh, the University of Florida Gators, we always played them last. And the my uh the Miami Hurricanes, we did not like them. Um <laughs> in any SEC team, we play Auburn in a bowl or Nebraska. We beat them twice in Fiesta Bowls. Those teams there, you step your game up. When you play Auburn, Miami, or Florida. Oh, man, come on. I remember against Miami, we used to – well, I did it. <laughs> but if we used to fight each other before the game, I was like, oh, I'm not doing none of that. But, you know, I'll stand back and, you know, like bark and stay on the porch. But we yeah, – those games were big-time rivalry games. You know, it really were. And I'll never forget those games. Those games really shaped my thinking when it comes to a rivalry. So it was amazing. So talk to me about the play against Clemson. I've I've gone back and watched YouTube, and Coach Bowden has a pretty funny little clip on there. He's talking about the the punt ruski. So talk about the younger generation of people that have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah, okay. Back in 1988, um, we had a fake punt. I used to be on the punt team. That was my junior year. I was on the punt team, and – we had this fake punt. We were going to use it against Florida at the end of the year. So we did it in practice, and it didn't work. So what happened was I was like an up back, and the center was snapping to me instead of, I mean, to Dane Williams instead of the punter. The punter jumped as if the ball was going over his head. Dane, the up back, would okay. put it between my legs, and i just sit there for like a couple of seconds, then I would take off. So it's supposed to fool the punt return team. So as I'm running on the field, Coach um, Coach Bowden, he says, run the play. I'm like, are you serious? It's like we're on our own 20. It's like a minute and something left. Are you sure? Yes, run it. So as I'm running on the field and the offense is coming off, I tell the guys, we're going to run the play. So we line up. And it's kind of raining, and this, you know, I said, just just don't slip. You'll be fine. So the play happens, and the punter, he jumps until the ball went over his head. So I hear every Clemson fan the loudest roar you've ever heard. Because they thought, oh, we're going to win. And we were, I think we were down by three or something like that. So Dane gets the ball. He puts it between my legs. So I see in my right peripheral, a guy sees me with the ball. So I take off running. As I'm running, I'm saying, just get the first down. Okay, great. Oh, hey, I'm in the open. So at this point, I see the guy behind me chasing me, but then I forget that Darnell Woodford is down there, the punt returner. So he's already back to like 40 yards. So he sees me, and he it's a mad sprint to that pylon. And as I'm running and running and running and running, and my head is leaning back, he knocks me out at like the three-yard line. Richie Andrews, our kicker, makes the kick, and we beat Clemson in Dev Valley. They were a top-five team. <laughs> they were shocked. That they is awesome. Shocked. I encourage. I totally encourage anybody listening right now. 
composite YouTube <laughs> yes, of Punt Roost yes. and Florida State versus Clemson. Yes. It is awesome. I'll never forget Bino Cook. He worked for ESPN at the time. He was a commentator. He said that was the best play since My Fair Lady. That was the best quote of all time. I mean, it was just the best quote of all time. <laughs> and that put me on the map, Keenan. That really did. That I was a national Everybody knew who I was. It was on every station, every highlight for like a whole week until we played Michigan State the following Saturday. All week, I had requests from to do interviews. I've never did this before, so it was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. That is cool. So then you get put on the national level, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. the NFL draft comes around. And you get drafted by the Green Bay Packers. What do you know nothing, about Green nothing. Bay, Wisconsin? I couldn't point out Wisconsin <laughs> on my map because, <laughs> I mean, I never thought I would go to Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa. Nah, 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 nah. I, I mean, I, I never thought I'd go as far as, like, Atlanta or maybe Tennessee. Not way up there. And at the time, <laughs> I was a Cowboy fan. So I'm thinking the Cowboys, I'm praying that they would draft me. But my, my uncle – was a huge Bears fan. And I remember him saying, go anywhere but the Packers. I don't like the Packers. So he was a uh, Walter Payton fan. <laughs> I said, I don't have a choice. Oh, sure. I don't know if the Cowboys select me. So it was, it was difficult in that project, in that small apartment. We had rotary phones. So I'm hoping the phone works. And... <laughs> It was on the wall, so you had to stay wherever the phone was, and it was kind of around the little corner in the hallway. And I'm sitting there, then it rings, and it was Lee Rimmel from the Green Bay Packers. And it was just amazing. That has got to be just the most yes. awesome phone yes, call you could ever get. I, I remember him telling me, you know, uh, Roy, Packers, I think about drafting you with the 48th pick. And I said, okay, great. He said, but first, you got to talk to the head coach. He puts on Lindy and Fonte. Now, that changed my life, okay. Keenan, because what he said to me, it was like God talking to me. Because remember now, I'm African-American, the poverty projects. This was my dream, sitting in a wheelchair, you know, no air conditioning. It's 100 degrees. You just, it just, I mean, no refrigerator. We had coolers, no stove. That we had all just. I mean, it was just wild. From hearing a head coach, and he, I remember him asking me, "Do you have any questions before we think about drafting?" I said, "Yes." Where's Green Bay? Don't y'all play in Milwaukee? He laughed so hard. <laughs> Did he explain it to me? No, 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 no. We our stadium obviously is in Brown County and. and Green Bay, but we play a couple games, a few games in Milwaukee. So I was like, oh, cool. And he said, okay, wait, wait, wait. We're going to select you, the 48th pick. If you go to your television, you'll see the, we're going to turn the card in. He was explaining to me how it works. And when he did all that, it was like a delay. So the people in the living room watching the TV, they see it. I, the entire project went nuts they've never seen this before you know you that's awesome you don't think a kid from the inner city is gonna ever get drafted so you don't know what to expect and they see it chris berman said yep the packers just select you know Leroy butler mel kuyper said some stuff and i remember that and, and it changed my life it really did okay so the first couple of years now no. what's my fault though it wasn't my fault. <laughs> exactly. It never is. It's right? my interview. You have to say what I want, right? <laughs> yeah, it was rough. The first That's right. Years. It really was. It was rough. So then in 92, mm-hmm. you trade away a first-round draft pick for this backup yes. quarterback from Atlanta by the name of – It's when they announced him at the draft, yes. they said Brett Favor. <laughs> they couldn't even get his name right. Well – Well, I played against him in college when he was at Southern Miss, and we played in Jacksonville, neutral site, and they beat us. And I just remember him can make all the throws. He wasn't 
a typical quarterback, he had a different mentality. Like, I can make every throw and I'm going to do it. So he had that swagger. So when Ron Wolf said he was going to select him, I just kind of remember this was a guy that, that for some reason everybody liked him. Wherever he got, everybody liked him. Jerry Glanville even liked him, but I think they had like Chris Miller and Billy Joe Tolliver <laughs> or whoever. And he was third string, I think. So when he came into the locker room, this is duly noted, I thought he was one of the best teammates of all time because he went to all the culture just to fit in. Because remember, uh, people may think about this, Don Mikowski was our quarterback and Magic Man. Yeah, he was good. And he was, he was mean, pretty good. He was an ascending player. But they also knew that, you know, he was, you know, he got banged up every now and then, you know, and they just want to be prepared for the new and upcoming team. And when he got hurt against Cincinnati, when Brett went in, I mean, it was amazing. And, yep. That was amazing. And he made some throws yep. that were just exactly. like, wow, this guy has it. Mm-hmm. So then, was it one year later yes. when when Reggie came? So talk about Reggie White and his influence to the team. Well, and Reggie was personal different. Personal influence to you. Uh, all caps, air quotes. Because he came from Philly. They had a great team, great defense, but they couldn't get over the hump. He wanted, really wanted to win a Super Bowl. But Keenan, I'm telling you, I saw on TV he was in San Francisco. I thought he was going to San Francisco. I'm sorry, San Francisco. Excuse me. But I also kept saying, well, wait a minute. Because I keep hearing rumors we still got a chance. So I'm like, well, okay, well, let me stick with this for a minute. Nope, he's going to San Francisco, blah, blah, blah. And I remember Coach Holmgren saying they were going to go out there or whatever. And I'm like, what? Listen, Reggie is the first free agent, okay? He sued the league to be a free agent and won. So he's a free. He's the first free agent that had a big name. Why would he come to the smallest market and a rumor that African Americans won't come to Green Bay? So when I saw him, right, I said, "That Reggie, Reggie, Reggie White's in Green Bay. He got to be lost. There's no way. I just saw him going to San Francisco, and he was getting ready for the press conference. I said, Reggie, what are you doing?" He, he, God told me to come to the Packers. Can I take my hand up and look up to the sky? Thank God. <laughs> and the culture changed. I mean, everything changed. I mean, it was a losing. I mean, coming out of the 80s, it was just rough. And as you correctly pointed out, the first couple of years, I mean, it just, but one thing we did have is great fans throughout all of this. And a lot goes to them because they still came to these games. But when Reggie changed the, the culture of, of teamwork and family, that's when we started to win. I <laughs> love that impersonation I, I of him, so too. Much, that's great. He was just so, <laughs> just a positive person. I mean, Reggie would help people. and We bought this area in Green Bay as Wabanon and we all stayed by each other and so we I would see him a lot. My kids grew up with his kids and his wife Sarah was amazing. But he really and we me him and Koontz and all of we always talk and then we gotta win a championship. Wouldn't that be amazing if we won a championship in Green Bay? Wouldn't that be amazing? If they won the first two Super Bowls but we used to always talk about it. Always, always. So at, at what point are you kind of introduced to the Packer history of, you know, the, the ice bowl in the sixties and Bart Starr? And is that kind of just ingrained into the every fans. Packer player that ever the comes? Fans, Cause I really didn't know. I, Cause when I got there, I really didn't know the history of the fans owning the team. But when you go places, the fans will tell you, you know, Dave Robinson, Ray Nitsky, and then, the Packers do a great job. They have the uh, the Packer Hall of Fame, so you can learn all of that kind of stuff. But when you see one of these guys at practice, you'd be in awe. You see Max McGee, oh man, 
Max, they're on Max McGee. He's calling the game, so what's the big deal? But no, this guy's amazing. And it just kind of, it made, I will say this, and that's a good question because I think that's what turned our attention to the Super Bowl, seeing these guys of the 60s code. They just dominated. Jim Taylor? Are you kidding me? I mean, you see these Forrest Gregg? You, you see these guys? Man, these guys are just dominate. I mean, Jerry Kramer? What? These guys are iconic figures walking amongst us. And they used to tell us, they knew we were running this sweep, but they couldn't stop it. And it, was, it just made us think we got to win a championship. Yeah, I. It really is, it was it amazing. Me I mean, just hearing about and it. And then I'm going to tell you something that changed my life. 1995, Kenan, we just lost to the Cowboys. And I was distraught. I mean, we, we were so. Because we had them. We had them in the fourth quarter. And then you know how the plane is going up. We're going back to Green Bay from Texas. The pilot tells you to stay seated with your seatbelt on before they get up to the cruising altitude or whatever, like 10,000 feet or whatever. Coach Homer was walking. He's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He's walking up the aisle when we're still going up. Next year, we're going to win it. Next year, we're going to win it. He's going to send it to everybody. Next year, we're going to win it. Yep, next year, we're going to win it. That's all. Because we all just, we just lost. But he was so at calm. He was so calm, and he was so taken in by the fact that I know what it takes to win now. I got the players. I'm going to get a little bit more arrogant. I'm going to get a little bit more aggressive. I'm going to get a little bit more swagger. And it went to the team. And then the following year in training camp in 1996, you could just feel it. You could just feel it. The practices were perfect. There was no drop balls. Guys were studying, staying late. Not not just doing it for show. They're doing it to – you saw guys hanging out, going bowling with each other. I mean, I even went hunting for one of the first time. I don't even hunt. I'm like, I want to just go with my teammates. Where, where y'all going? I want to go. And if our families hung out with each other. So when the season started, you could the players knew. We just kind of knew everything was lining up for a championship. So you have a fantastic season, enough to earn the number one seed, host the NFC Championship game. You win that game against Carolina. What does Coach Holmgren and the coaching staff do to prepare you for those two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl game down in New Orleans? The, the Saturday before. So I'm like, what's he coming up with? He shows us this long table with a like a sheet over it. I said, what is this? It's just like a dead body telling you going to kill us if we lose or what? <laughs> so everybody started laughing. He said, no, nah, it's not that. I said, okay, but what is he doing? And so all of a sudden, it was the win. He pulled it off. It was the winning share of the money. If you win, this is what you get. And everybody's eyes just kind of like, whoa. <laughs> Even though most of those guys in there were millionaires, but to see money is just different from seeing it in a check. It's like, whoa, what? where did you get all this money? <laughs> and then the other one was different because when we broke into meetings, Fritz Shermer's brother, he was like, you know, he says, my brother's in the hospital, but one of his wishes was for me to just go and tell you guys to win the Super Bowl. His brother was really sick and didn't know how long he had to live, and it was just a, almost like a wish. So it wasn't a dry eye in the, in the building. I mean, it was tough. And, though, and then we, you know, we felt bad for him. You know, you're going through a tough time with your brother, and you, you're here, and you're not there. And we just appreciated him being there. So we were very motivated. So the next day when we got to – um, to the Superdome in New Orleans, it was it was on and popping. Okay, I mean this is a dream for every kid that played 
Little League sport, the pinnacle of your life being in a Super Bowl. And then one of my interns came up to me and goes, I heard there's going to be 100 million people watch this game. I said, huh? <laughs> are you serious? He said, yeah, I don't know if it's true or not. It's just what people have been saying. I was like, okay. I said, you better not tell some of these people that. Or, well, maybe you can tell them because we have on yellow pants. You won't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Guys were nervous when they heard about that. This is the Super Bowl. And they had to do fireworks. Luther Vandross is there the blues brothers i mean it was just that was cool it was all these like celebrities and so this it was great it was great so you mentioned reggie we talked about brett obviously hall of famers but i'm gonna guess that maybe those two weren't your favorite teammates can you talk a little bit about number 34 on the other side of the ball yeah edgar bennett to me was a truly amazing guy man just a great guy of character his mom and dad were I mean, they treated me as if I was their son. I mean, he, we had a dual running back with him and Dorsey Levin. They were so unselfish. But Edgar did everything, caught the ball out of the backfield. I mean, he would block. I mean, he was just a great guy. I mean, he was just a great guy. He was my roommate uh, of the week of the Super Bowl because um, they were like, well, you guys want your own room, whatever, whatever. And and me and Edgar was like, okay, fine. We we stayed in the, uh, like a suite. Everybody had their own suite. But you had a roommate on the other side, so we had the same thermostat. Now, he likes it really cold. I like it a little warm. So every two hours, one of us would get up and change the thermostat. <laughs> it was so funny. I wish social media was out there because was, this guy would get up 3 o'clock in the morning and take it down to like 64. Jeez. I'd get up. <laughs> Put that thing at like 71. It's hot in here. I said, no, it's not. Go back to sleep. You're dreaming. It was just so funny. So your your friendship with him goes dates back before the Packers, though, right? Yes. We played high school. Uh, we played college and played in the pros together. Something not many guys have done. I've been knowing him a long time since we were like, you know, late teenagers. You know, at, before we got to uh, Lee High School, I mean, we've been friends a long time. Probably my closest. Other than my brothers, he's pretty, we're pretty close. Well, that's awesome. What a story to build it. Be high school friends all the way to a Super Bowl championship. I know, right? Cause we, after the game, we were all excited. We were jumping around. Oh, this is for Jacksonville. Oh, this is great. You remember we were in high school, talked about winning the Super Bowl. And he said, yeah, but we didn't. Have, we never talked about winning it on the same team. I said, I didn't think that was possible. That's that pretty, awesome. pretty awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I know you've been uh, up for the Hall of Fame. Um, mm-hmm. It's It's been close. I, I feel like this next year is when it's going to happen, I hope. Um, so what, what would that mean to you? You know what? <laughs> The first year I was a finalist, Keenan, I was so excited. I really, I was overwhelmed. I was like, all the players above played in this league to get be a finalist is it's hard to imagine. It really is. I was so excited. Now this past year, I'm thinking, okay, I'll be a finalist again, but it'd be nice to make the final ten. Because if you make the final 10, it's just a matter of time. So then when I got the phone call from Mr. Baker, he said, unfortunately, when he says that, I know you didn't make it. Yep. I said, that's okay. I'll see you next year. He said, what, 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 what? You, you know, you were a finalist. I mean, you made the cut to 10. Oh, man, that's great. And then when I Saw it in the paper afterwards after they selected everybody. It kind of came out, and I called Pete Doherty. He's my presenter. You know, after we saw the five that got in, I was like, Pete, we're close. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, you, you know, if you're making that final 10, there's a good chance you're going to be in there really soon. I was at peace at that point, you know, because my grandmother told me there's never worry about stuff you can't control. But if I was ever, get the call and it says you made it my mom who was my role model 
she was everything. She passed away like four years ago. And she always told me to enjoy the process. Obviously, I'll be taken by emotion thinking about her raising five kids in the projects with three jobs. You know, happened to be on food stamps at one point and happened to be on the the uh, government assistance meals and having free lunch at school and getting picked on for being poor. My first new shirt was at the Salvation Army. My mom couldn't afford to buy us like new clothes. We had to wear hand-me-downs. And being a special needs kid my whole life and being in special education, it would mean amazing because I would give the people who helped me a bigger platform to say you need your teachers and you need your coaches without those two people. Obviously, you need your family, but those are two groups of people who need to be out in front, not me. I would be doing it for every parent who has a special needs child. Because my son, Leroy Butler IV, um, is a special needs child on the spectrum of autism. It'll be for those kids to say, you know what, I can do whatever I want to do. Whatever limitations, you don't determine that. I do. So it would, it would mean a lot. I think it would be a, a real, not the ending of a story, but a new journey, I think. And it would be important for me to do, I do a lot of school, I speak to a lot of schools. I had a program called Butler versus Bullying. And what would make me feel good if I saw one of saw some of my teachers or teachers in general when I go to school, let them put on the gold jacket. Let them take pictures with it. Let the kids take pictures with it. You know, maybe two kids, each with a left arm and a right arm, two kids at the same time. Let let them experience it because I'll be fine with it. But that's what it would mean to me because it wouldn't be about me. It would be about my story. And that would just be very impactful if you have a, a child or yourself that's going through some negative things. I think it'll be a great pick-me-up story. Well, I can tell you that the whole state of Wisconsin is pulling for you. And oh, yeah. Probably, yeah. And probably yes. most of the country that, because, you know, most of the country should be Packer fans. It makes sense. <laughs> no, I, I agree. <laughs> agree. <laughs> And some of my fans, you know, they got angry. You know, they were like, John Lynch shouldn't be in for you. But then they thought, you know, we don't want to, you know, degrade anybody to prop you up. We're just <laughs> saying, what do y'all go by? Do y'all go by numbers, years? What do you go by? Because right. I think that, he, you know, he's worthy of it. So I think the fans will be very, very excited. And so will I. And I. And it'll be dedicated to the fans. If it, if it wasn't for the fans, I'm just a nobody. But with the fans, it's amazing. So you mentioned doing your speaking at schools. How do they, how do you get schools to, or how do you, do you reach out to schools or do they reach out to you? Or how does Oh, that great work? question. Um, Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shields of Milwaukee partnered with me. And I appreciate that. For, oh my, oh, what, seven, eight years now? Uh, you basically go to Leroy Butler, inc.com, LeroyButlerInc.com, and you just sign up and say, I would love for him to come to my school. We've been way up in Superior, we've been to Eau Claire, La Crosse, Green Bay. And you know where else you've been? New, New Auburn, Wisconsin. Yes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> we like the small towns. You know why? Because they don't get a chance to see Packers very much. Right. And the teachers there, I like to reach out to those guys. So you just basically go in there, fill out a form, and somebody get back to you. And it's free to the schools because Anthem is sponsoring it. And it's amazing. It really is amazing. I, it just, it's it just been working out. And we did it virtual, Keenan. Through okay. the pandemic, I thought for sure I was going to get this letter from Anthem, from Rita, uh, and Anthony, and Tanisha. Oh, we can't do it. It's a pandemic. You know, we're not making money. No. they. Hey, listen. Schools are virtual. So you can do it virtual. So we're reaching out to these. They were, the schools were so excited. 
So that is the, cool. The Google Meets, the Zooms, and they just told all the kids to mute their thing and just listen to my speech. And it was your turn to ask a question. You unmute, ask a question. We had some bumps, but it wasn't enough bump to make it a big deal, you know. Sure. It was, it, it was just. It was. We all went through a pandemic together, but I just appreciate Anthem doing that. I just. I can't thank them enough. I just. Well, I know that our kids here. I mean, our school was buzzing for many days after you were here. So yeah, that was that was really that. cool. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm going to change gears a little bit. I was I was at uh, shopping at my local Woodman's picking up some supplies and I turn and looked and I see this stack of of bottles that say leap vodka on them yes I can you talk to me a little bit about that because I had to I had to learn about it <laughs> I mean what what's going on with this leap vodka well Chad Greenway uh, Minnesota Vikings in a pandemic now he called me up he said Leroy this is gonna be odd because he Chad knows I don't drink or smoke but he know I love branding and I love doing new stuff. And I thought about it. I said, well, you know what, Chad? All, most of my fan base do drink. Now, that's a cup, that's a, a part of my branding I've never took advantage of. It was always on the social services side. So I said, let me think about it. So we talked a couple more times in November, talk and talk. I said, well... If you can, two things, if you can hook me up with some other good guys, and if I can name it, I'll listen further. He said, no problem. So I said, well, I don't really want to be an ambassador. You know, he said, no, 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 we're talking about ownership. I said, now you really piqued my interest. (laughs) So now in my part owner of it, I got a chance to name it Leap Premium Vodka. And it just now I didn't. Blew I, up. I was gonna say I didn't talk about this yet, but obviously, the Lambo Leap. Yes. What uh, you're given credit for inventing it, mm-hmm. creating it. Did you have this in your mind that you thought if I ever score a touchdown, no, I'm going in the stands. No, no, no. I wish I could tell people that. Um, in 1993, when I got that ladder from Reggie and jumped into the stands, it was all spontaneous. I never pre-thought it no it was like it just i i I, still look like it's a dream when i see it on youtube it's like and then after it was over with kenan i just thought it was cool but robert brooks did a song about it and he thought about it he said what you did you know was awesome so he wrote a song, Jump in the Stand. And then it blew up. It blew. Oh, my. It just blew up. And the fans love it because it's about the fans. And uh, matter of fact, me and Robert are writing a kind of a documentary type deal about the leak. Okay. So people who didn't see the actual one, they could talk. We're going to talk about how it came about, how it got famous, how Robert Brooks protected it by trademarking the Lambo leap so no other team can do it so do you think I mean in my opinion it's probably the most legendary celebration that that there is in sports no question about it and the reason why because it has to do with the fans you need the fans to do the leap you have the fans even if you hit like Robert wrote the best rap intro, I mean, intro ever my my idea came from Leroy Butler, you know, but he stuck to the wall like Velcro. That's amazing. That's better than Run DMC. That's better than Jay-Z. That's better than all of them. Eminem. All of them put together. And because the fans will help you. They'll pull you up and you sit on the wall and you just take selfies or take pictures with the fans that's what it's all about that's what makes it i think celebration i think it's cool because it made those seats in the end zone the most sought after seats in the state when they used they used to not be that that great of a seat hey man that's why you're a smart coach and teacher you're right <laughs> I, everybody want to sit in the 50 yard line not in it you got to sit in the north and south end zone and say hey, i called donald driver i had a chance to catch him on green 
oh man, those seats were those are premium seats. What I do get a kick out of is when I see a lineman like Mark Telsher try to jump <laughs> up there. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Good friend of mine, Charlie Barons. I did his podcast. And we rated all the good and bad ones. It was just so funny. But our, the worst one had to be Gabe Wilkins. He got <laughs> tangled up in the little net that they catch the footballs. Oh, sure, sure. And he looked like one of those tunas on the, the Wicked Tuna. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that funny. everybody wants to try it when they get to Lambeau and they get their chance. They, they want it. Absolutely. It. And it is, it is a little – if you think about it, because – Every now and then, when you play a team that's thinking about it, they'll do it. Like Dalvin Cook of Minnesota, he jumped up there because he knew the Packers were going to do it. So Aaron Jones jumped up there, and it's just like the fans are not there, so it's not the same. But it's just the thing about they'll have fans just fall, and trust me, they'll be doing the leap again. Sure. So obviously that's where the name Leap Vodka yes, comes from, right? Yes. So that is, that is pretty see cool. That name and they'll gravitate towards it. And I think the label is, is amazing. It is. So is it it's available pretty oh, much yeah, everywhere it, around the state? Every pick and save, because I do a lot of stuff with pick and save. We got it in every pick and save across the state. Everywhere you buy uh, alcohol is there. And if it's not there, you tell the manager, hey, you need to get Leroy's Leap Vodka. And have them order it because, yeah, I mean, it's it's I mean it's been like number one now since January the 11th, and it's hard. And if you go to a, a a couple pick and saves, I've signed some bottles, and you could probably pick them oh, cool. up. There's a lot of signed bottles that every pick and save I sign a a ton of bottles, and you can find some. But uh, in Warsaw, if you're in Warsaw area. Uh, June 19th, you can get a signed bottle for your dad for Father's Day with his name on it. You can reserve a, a, that bottle and get a picture with your dad. Uh, it's going to be a huge event. So if you don't, if you can't make it, you know, you can pre-buy it. Pre-order? Pre-order it and just swing by, take a picture and keep moving. So at Hohen Huddle, Hohen's Huddle. Okay. So it's going to be a big event that is, from one to four. That is cool. Yep. So, any other any other businesses that you have going on the side that kind of keeps yes, you busy? Yes, I do radio ten to two every day statewide on the uh, Big Show Network, and um, I do a lot of um, a lot of appearances are were virtual, but now I'm getting really busy. But one of the things I'm working on now is to get my own restaurant that's in the works, my own delivery system. Almost like DoorDash or Uber Eats, but it'll be okay. leaping to your door, not like delivery. Uh, I like it. I We're like gonna it. cross out delivery and put leap. So, you know, you can order from any restaurant, hopefully buying, but any restaurant, and our drivers will leap to your door, and they'll be on time. The food will be hot and fresh, and one of the biggest things to me. Um, working on a documentary for the leap and I'm building a studio that uh, probably in 2022 uh, leap 36 uh, premium studios because I want people to have a podcast, a video podcast, a radio shows or whatever you want to do, you will be able to use, you can rent out the studio for your time. Okay. So I'm very excited about that. And I'm trying to get, build a platform to host, podcasts and videos and shows so uh, give people another platform uh, to do that's why i applaud you for having your own thing that makes a big deal and that's why doing this show is so important yeah thank you so much i do appreciate it so i have two more little segments here that i want to quiz you on okay my rapid fire questions here i have five questions for you come up with your answer as quick as you can don't think too hard about it, but um, I will start with the rapid fire number one. Here we go. Who was the best backup quarterback that you got to practice against in Ooh, Green Bay? Doug Peterson. Doug yeah. Peterson, okay. Obviously went on to be a very successful oh, yeah, coach, Super too. Oh, yeah, Super Bowl winner. <laughs> um, who is the toughest 
player that you played against that you had to tackle? Barry Sanders. Not even close. I was kind of think, I was thinking yep. you might say that. Um, if you could come out of retirement for one game, who would you want to play against? The Bears. Why? It's the oldest rivalry. They're right on the border. I mean, you go. We go up to that area all the time through Chicago, and that's the old. I mean, I miss those Bears rivalry. Yep, and I hope. I wish it would be a Thursday night, Sunday night, or a Monday night because I would want everybody to see it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was your favorite part about being a Green Bay Packer that didn't have anything to do with football? The the people, just the people, out in the community, seeing the people. And it was just awesome. It just, I mean, just the nicest people. Matter of fact, I moved to Wisconsin because the people are just so great here. I mean, and I'm from Jacksonville, Florida, as you know, the people, what makes it very special. Well, that's pretty awesome. So a follow-up question is, how do you like the winter? I'm okay weather? with it. I'm okay with You're it. Okay yeah, with it. I'm okay. Okay. I just stay in the house when it's cold, but otherwise the weather don't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question on the rapid fire. Who in the NFL right now plays the most like you played? Ooh. I'll say Mika Fitzpatrick, the safety for the Steelers. He okay. reminds me of me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, I like to see him play quite a bit. Well, I know when he had his free agency here a while back, I people were, were hoping that he was going to get the green goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those kind of guys, you got to wait till they just fall in your lap. Or you got to go trade for them and give up a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I also always end our, our podcast with a top three segment. Okay. And I decided to go with your top three favorite players that you played against. One quarterback, one re- receiver, and one running back. Okay. Not necessarily the best players yes. that you played against, but... Your favorite opponent? Favorite quarterback, Steve Young. I think, me personally, thought he was the smartest player I've ever played against. It ain't even close. The guy was just smart. He knew rotations. He knew where you were going to be. He just studied. He's just smart. And that's what made sacking him a big deal because he was so smart. And I used to sack him and it made a big deal. Uh, receiver Jerry Rice. Because Jerry Rice, well, we, we have what we call a numbers tree, like a two. Number two is a slant route. You just go inside. Number nine yep. is a go route. He ran every route on that route tree the same speed, so you never know. He never took downs off. And running back to me, again, I mentioned it, Barry Sanders, man. He was the most polite guy I've ever played against. I mean, you tackle the guy the one time you get him, and he says, hey, that's a great tackle. And people say, what's it like to tackle Barry Sanders? I said, it's just like being in a bathtub with a bar of soap. You see it, you have it, and it's gone. And, <laughs> and you kind gone. of find it, you can't see it. You, oh, I got it. It's gone again. That's what it's like tackling Barry well, I, Sanders. I think what made him so impressive was you rarely got a clean Exactly. Exactly. You grabbed his shoestrings and you maybe got a hold of his jersey or something, but he never took hard Never shots. spiked the ball. None of that. I think that's the most impressive thing is he expected to score touchdowns. And when he did, he just handed the ball to the ref. Like I'm yeah. doing my job. Yeah, I don't need to spike the ball. I already ran 80 yards. on. <laughs> he was amazing. He was a great guy too. It was always good playing against him. All right. Well, thank you so much. I just really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us today. And, um, you know, wish you the, the best on your future endeavors. Thank you so here. much, Keenan. It was an honor and a pleasure to be on your show I had a great time. Thank you so much. And I wish you well in the future. Thanks, and good luck on the Hall of Fame. Thank you so much, brother. Take care. All right. Take care. And that brings us to a conclusion of another episode of Courtside with Keenan. I want to give a special thank you again to today's guest, Green Bay Packer legend, Leroy Butler. And I also want to give a special shout out to Jed Bauer for submitting our rapid fire questions to ask Leroy. If you would like to be part of the podcast, contact us through our social media, Courtside with Keenan, with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or send me an email at courtsidewithkeenan at gmail.com. One last thing before we go Courtside with Keenan. 
t-shirts are here. If you are interested in a Courtside with Keenan t-shirt, get a hold of me on our socials. Thank you very much for listening, guys, and have an awesome day.